0: This is the Actual Fluency Podcast, helping you become a better language learner by providing motivating weekly inspiration, as well as top tips and tricks from
1: expert guests. And now, your host, Chris Broholm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast, Season 3, Episode 12. And today i'm talking to alex Rawlings, and uh, alex was a guest back in season one and uh, a lot has happened since it's been almost two years and although he did make a slight cameo appearance in a polyglot conference episode i felt like we should it was time to take a, a a talk with alex again and this time we get into a very interesting topic that's been on my mind lately if you've been following the blog and that is to where to live in the world if you're a sort of a freelancer or you're an online teacher or whatever you might be doing where you don't have to take into an office and we get into a lot of discussion about what are the good places depending on weather prices and then the discussion sort of changes into what i like to call the expat problem uh, i don't know if that's the official term but basically we discuss what happens when expats with foreign income which is much higher than local income move into a a city like berlin budapest other cities around europe are facing the same problems where the prices go up and they go up so much that the locals can't afford living in the city anymore they have to move out and we kind of talk back and forth about that and and give our opinions so i hope you enjoy this talk with uh, alex Rawlings. and uh, just one little quick shout out i know uh, some of you uh, have given some feedback that you don't enjoy these sort of long introductions in the beginning so i'm trying to do just a, a minute or two just to you know say hi what's up you know uh, so it's not just the recording that you're going to listen to but you're also actually listening to my voice recorded pretty much live with the episode so the only other point was i finally put the show on patreon for people who have been asking of ways to support the show so if you're a fan of the show out there you can now get extra stuff extra bonus stuff and in exchange for supporting the show financially with whatever amount you feel it's worth to you. And that's the beauty of Patreon. It's kind of like being a patron in the old days, you know, where uh, an opera or a theater would have nobility as sort of uh, patrons of theater. So they supported the arts. And while I wouldn't call this podcast art, uh, it, I certainly hope that some of you get some value out of it enough to where you might consider supporting it um, So I just want to say thank you for doing that. And you can find it on actualfluency.com forward slash support. And uh, now time for the episode. It's time for another actual fluency podcast. And on the show today, I'm joined by fan favorite Alex Rawlings, the uh, most multilingual student of Britain in uh, year 2012. How many years (laughs) do you think we can use that, Alex? A hundred years. It will still be used. On your tombstone, it will say, most multilingual student of Britain. It's right, actually it's funny how 12. <laughs> it's so often, it's a so funny how often you're introduced like that even in, you know, now 2015 2016 but um yeah what what can you do is a great honor I suppose so
0: Well you would be amazed how many people think I'm still a student like they're like you're 20 right and I'm like no <laughs> time moves on and I move with it unfortunately but thank you very much for the
1: compliment I mean <laughs> Oh yeah Fantastic. So you're in Spain right now. You left uh, Budapest and Hungary. You left me behind. Thank you. And um, so how's life in Spain?
0: Life in Spain is good. Um, (laughs) What can I say? It's nice weather. The the cost of living is pretty good. Um, There's a lot of things that I like about it. With every place, as you know yourself, now that you've started to live abroad, there is a long period, I think, before you really start to settle and feel like it's home. So, you know, gradually warming up to things.
1: Nice. So, what do you? How long do you think that period was for you for Budapest?
0: God, you know, I think it, it just creeps up on you. You feel kind of very alienated for a very long time, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, hang on a minute, I just did all this stuff, and it feels totally normal. Um, what was really weird is that so I moved to Budapest in July two thousand and fourteen, and in August 2015 I had this really overwhelming feeling of familiarity and it was something that I wasn't expecting at all but I kind of felt like um oh I remember what this was like I remember what this was like last year and all of a sudden I had something to compare it to like I could see the cycle starting again whereas before I was kind of thinking like oh I wonder what next month will be like I wonder how the weather will be and that kind of thing so I think possibly after a whole year you get that feeling of you know, really being settled and and being at home. It's just a year's a pretty long time to wait when you're a bit impatient for it.
1: It is, definitely. Uh, I'm about six months in now, and we just started winter, which was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> I warned you about winter, but of that's No, 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 you didn't. You said <laughs> winter is miserable, and everyone is depressed. And I said, okay, well, that sounds like every northern country, you know, that happens. And then when I came home from a nice week-long vacation in December, it was minus 15 when I came back. My flat was so cold, it was harder to go outside.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I forgot that you would never been to Eastern Europe before. And when I say miserable and and depressed, that's what I mean. Um, Last year, it didn't last for long, that cold weather. It was a couple of weeks, and then it went back to being nondescript. But, um,
1: yeah. (laughs) So, thanks for not mentioning the incredible cold. uh, I remember my uh, real estate guy, he said when I moved in here, he was like, yeah, the fight is nice. It's gonna get a little cold in winter, but otherwise it's fine. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fine. You know, I didn't think of it, and then now yeah. it's winter, and it's yeah, it's working hard to uh, to keep it hot.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the for winter is not a lot of fun in Budapest. That's all <laughs> I can say. Um, There's things to do. I think this is the, the key. You have to distract yourself, and that's what Hungarians do. They, you know, they book loads of tickets to concerts. They leave <laughs> they just Strange. fill their time with other stuff i mean i don't know about you but i mean the cold doesn't bother me that much i'm not an enormous fan of it but what really gets to me is darkness like especially short. Yeah. and that was something that i found very difficult about living in budapest and something that i wasn't prepared for at all the fact that the sun sets at quarter to four as it, exactly the same as it does in england right um, in december and that was a little bit difficult
1: yeah, I, I'm totally feeling the same. I guess people also cope with like going to the bar and just having some part care or drinking.
0: <laughs> alcohol, of course. Alcohol is always a solution to these problems.
1: <laughs> it really is. It really is. I was out in minus 12 or something the other night and after two beers, it felt fine. <laughs> yeah. So, so You'll
0: so- see that because the, the one really nice thing about Hungarian winter is the Hungarian spring and that suddenly comes with all this euphoria and it goes back to being that amazing place that you really liked when you came to the polyglot workshops. In <laughs> So <Right. laughs> don't worry, you'll, you'll stay, stay in there and I guess by late March, April, it will already be warming up again.
1: Uh, that's fantastic. I guess in a way, I, I don't know if we talked about this, but I guess that it's a nice feeling to, I mean, you appreciate the nice things more when you experience bad things, right? So it yeah, seems really. like the spring and summer and autumn are more appreciated because the winter is so tough.
0: Yeah, I guess an optimist would see it that way. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure that I'm 100% an optimistic person, so that took a while for me to process. But yeah, no, you're right. The other thing I think about the seasons is I remember when I went to Singapore where they don't really have seasons, like Mm. the temperature variation is two degrees in the whole year, like 32 to 34. Sign me up. Well. This is the thing. So, I mean, it's, it's quite an unpleasant climate to be in. Um, but what really struck me is because I was living in Budapest at the time where you had these insane seasonal shifts is uh, the people that I met there said, God, you know, I've been in Singapore now for nine, ten years and the time has gone by so quickly because there's been absolutely nothing to measure my year by. There's been no winter. There's been no right. spring, nothing. It's just every day it's hot. Every day it's raining. And, you know, I don't know where the time has gone. And that kind of made me think, like, whoa maybe the seasons do have a point maybe the seasons are something that are there for us to kind of measure our time with and you know since i moved to spain this part of spain in particular valencia where i am does not have particularly pronounced seasons it's still pretty warm outside it's like 18 19 degrees and i've started to notice this feeling as well that time is going by very very quickly
1: right but what do you prefer i mean obviously Minus 15 and plus 45 is probably a bit extreme, but I mean, is there a perfect country where they do have seasons, but it's not that extreme? I
0: don't know. Um, I don't think there is a perfect country. I think that's part of this world that we live in. There's nowhere where you're going to live which is perfect. Um Or at least if you do find that place, it's not going to be because of the place itself. It's going to be because of the people you know and the life you have there. Um, I don't know. I, I always want a bit of everything.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> live in different uh, in multiple places, have a summer home. in, in no, uh, I mean, I mean, that's an obvious solution,
0: but the problem with that is it's just the, the upheaval and double also rent. Sorry,
1: also double rent, yeah,
0: exactly, or quadruple rent if you're moving every season. I mean, yeah. you, you can't pay for that kind of thing. Well, I don't you know, I mean, rented out. I don't know, rent, rent it out. yeah, but do you really feel settled in a place like where someone else is staying? There's a lot of things right. to think about, I think, and. I think the biggest thing is that when you're abroad, and especially if you're abroad for the first time, you notice a lot of these things that probably are just as bad in your home country, but because you're not suddenly surrounded by lots of people that you know and family and things to do and kind of a very familiar life, you notice them much more intensely than you would at home. So for example, Chris, you're not going to tell me that the winter in Denmark is great, right?
1: No, but it's better than this, I can tell you that. Yeah. Which is surprising to many people actually. But uh, Denmark is a very mild country. Like we mm. rarely have negative degrees even during winter and snow, of course you got a lot of rain, but it's the same with England, right? Um, so it's yeah. not that bad, but yeah, it's not great either. Everyone's but I mean but if
0: and... I think back to when I was living in England, like I never liked the winter either, but it was never kind of at the forefront of my mind in the same way that it was when I was living in Budapest. And I think it's just because Oh, I didn't have as much to think about
1: yeah well I'm not I'm not really too bothered by it I'm just I was just surprised that it was this cold yeah um, but it's. it doesn't bother me you know I, I just layer up and get some long johns or whatever and you know get get going I do I do stay inside more obviously and we don't go yeah. to cafes every day like we did in summer and um, yeah so all those things were affected of course and shorter days like you say but Apart from that, you know, it's okay. As long as the heating can keep up and doesn't break, then it, it, it's okay. So, <laughs> You know, I don't even
0: have heating in this place in Spain. We don't need...
1: It. Air conditioning, probably. Yeah, we
0: have that, but no heating. <laughs> We're like, no one has heating here. God.
1: It's the opposite here. It's like nobody has air conditioning because... Yeah, no, that's a know, serious problem. 35 degrees, problem. you know, nothing. Properly. I met some really interesting people when I was
0: living in Hungary, and I think that was what made that whole time very, very special for me. But I met this taxi driver, the Uber driver, um who had been to almost every single country in the world. It was really bizarre. And I was like, oh, which is your favorite country? And he said, hmm, not Hungary. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> why? Why not Hungary? And he was like, the people are never happy here. You know, all winter they're like, oh, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold. All summer they're like, oh, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot. You can just never get them to just enjoy That's true, yeah. what they have. And I guess, you know, something about that rang true with me when I think about what it was like to be in Budapest for that year.
1: Yeah, i i guess you're right because it's just so hot i remember the summer which also surprised me you remember at the workshop i was like ah it's eastern europe it's probably cold and it was like 30 40 degrees every day and i was like in sweaters and stuff i was like what is this i'm not used to this kind of weather (laughs) yeah so it was it was really painful on on several levels but um yeah that's the thing with weather it's so hard to find a place that has mild winters and and Mild summers, it, it just doesn't happen like where you are, presumably, at summer it gets crazy hot.
0: Um, no, but like, we kind of yeah. have mild winters and mild summers here, but um, <laughs> but um, the point is that you have very high humidity here as well, so oh, right. the, the temperature seems quite low, you actually feel it much more than um, you would in Hungary, for example.
1: Oh, okay, and you know, you've been traveling living in different places for a few years now, do you think you'll settle in a place or do you think that you'll just keep going from place to place every now and again? It's
0: a good question. Um, every time I move to a new place, I go to it with the attitude of, right, this is it now. This is going to be me for <laughs> a very long time. And I think it's important to do that because otherwise you don't fully settle in, you don't fully adjust and that kind of thing. For now though, when push comes to shove, I kind of feel like I think there's a, a lot more of the world still to see. And, you know, we are part of this very exciting new movement, let's call it, of people that are able to work online and and choose where they live. And I kind of feel like because I have that opportunity, it would be a real disservice to not take it and to not explore more places and and live in more places in the world. So I don't know at the moment. I could imagine spending more than a year where I am now, but there are also other places that I'd like to see too. Cool. And I
1: totally agree uh, that the world is open but it's also a big hassle to move i find so and i don't know because the problem is you can't live in a place and then just take a month or two somewhere or even three months somewhere for the tourist visa you don't really get enough of a picture of what the country or the culture is really like in three months do you
0: not at all no
1: you need to do the full cycle yeah
0: you need to see the the country go through all those motions because i mean Look, if you went to Budapest in, in July and <laughs> stayed for three months, you'd think Budapest was like the Middle East.
1: Right. And yeah,
0: it's true. You completely the wrong impression about what the country's like. You know, Everyone's the,
1: happy. Uh, and
0: People are so relaxed. <laughs> so, Great country. And... Yeah. And then bang, the winter comes. And you think that Budapest is like Siberia. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the truth is somewhere in between, you know, but it, it does take these perspectives to really see that. And it, I think it, even a year in the scheme of things is not actually that much time. You know, right. I mean, there's, there's still things that I think I wasn't finding out about Budapest till right until the end. And there were certain experiences that I didn't have until maybe the last few days that
1: kind of filled in gaps for me about the whole city. Right. So you think one year was perhaps not enough at the end of the day?
0: Well, I mean, I don't know how much enough would be. There's, there's always stuff to find out. and the Places change as well and you have to keep up with them. But um, I think a year is a good amount of time if you're not um, if you're not settled on, on staying in one place and you want to really see it. I think a year is a good thing. You then run into all these problems with kind of registering and deregistering for taxation and bank accounts and that kind of thing. That is a headache.
1: Yeah, and but moving um, thirty kilos of books or something. Two hundred fifty kilos. But two hundred fifty um, <laughs> kilos. I haven't grown my collection that much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, no, that is also a hassle, um, but. Uh, Here's what you want, you know, I mean, the world's a big place.
1: Yeah, I think right now my plan just to to contrast that a little bit was probably to set up a base here uh, because I think that it's in the middle of Europe and I don't like to deal with all those taxes and moving everything every year and doing all that stuff. So I was thinking about just setting up a base and then if I want to take a month or two traveling, I can do that. I mean, it's up to me. Uh, it, it is a weakness because you don't get the full uh, experience and the language, you're not going to learn much in two months, if anything. So it's like you're stuck between these two situations, right? That doesn't seem to be a, an easy way on, until they figure out something like e-citizenships or something. Which you I... mean with a taxation system and that kind of thing? Yeah, like if it was just centralized or whether, or just allow people to be registered somewhere in Europe and just not live there i don't know any country that has that you know you need to have a physical press uh, presence in some country yeah i mean obviously there's reasons why that happens i sure. think i think the point is that these kinds of
0: laws haven't really caught up with um the kinds of work and the kind of lifestyles that people like you and i are doing right now but exactly. the good news is that we're growing as a group of people so hopefully as more and more people become self-employed and more and more people start working through the internet Things will come along that will cater for us.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or otherwise, we just have to move and deal with the hassle every time. But then, one year does seem a little bit lit, uh, not enough time because you have to deal with all the bureaucracy for just one year. You know, you'd you'd want to maximize that pain and maybe do uh, eighteen months or something at least. Well, this is
0: the argument, ironically, for maybe just doing shorter stints because if you just do three months in each place or even less than six months, actually. I'm pretty sure I'm not a legal advisor, so don't take this <laughs> advice for <laughs> you know literally. But I believe that if you're less than six months in a place, then you are not considered to be a fiscal resident. Right. So in that case, you can retain your um, tax liability in your home country.
1: Uh, yeah, I know for Denmark, it's it's something like that. If you're outside Denmark more than six months a year, you are uh, you're not considered taxable in Denmark anymore. So the opposite must also be true if you are in Denmark six months of the year, then you'll be fine. Uh, I don't know why you'd be registered in Denmark though, they have crazy taxes. So be registered somewhere else. But uh, but then of course you get the tourist visa limitation is only three months. So unless you're traveling around Europe as a European then, and I know we have a lot of American visitors who will probably be hit hard by tourist visas. Uh, But anyway, um, Mm. three months will probably be your limitation most of the time. So, Chris, I wanted to ask you a question because I know you, you ask a lot of
0: questions on this show, but I, I wanted to, to go on you a little bit. So when I was living in Budapest, um, I'd get this question again and again and again, and it became increasingly difficult to answer. And it was basically, why did you come here? <laughs> why did you come to our country to live?
1: Right. Well, the fun answer I always give, because I also get asked this all the time, uh, yeah. the fun answer I always give is like, I was on my way to Berlin and I had a heavy suitcase that had to get on the plane and I didn't want to do that so I just stayed and that was kind of the and it always leads to the follow up story yeah, it's pretty funny but uh, I did actually have a ticket for Berlin I was going to go to Berlin to live and then I saw Budapest and I was like if I can have all this where I am now why do I want to travel to a new country to know what I'm getting you know this was like the adventure um, so for me I didn't know much about Hungary before I came to your workshop You didn't know anything about the climate? No, not really. Uh, I had looked at Budapest and uh, Prague and Berlin as possible expat locations because it was very popular. But I discounted both Hungary and the Czech Republic because of the languages, ironically, uh, because I thought that I was not in a place of my life where I could learn yet another complicated language. And I I never knew anything about Hungary. I never knew anything about the Czech Republic. So I didn't have any sort of things attracting me to either language. So I just said, okay, well Berlin, I can improve my German, I know some people who live there, it's a nice city uh, most of the time and it's got you know a, a very nice sort of expat community, startup community, co-working community, whatever, you can find anything in Berlin, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, then I was just here and I was like, wow, this is like an adventure, you know, walking down the street, oh. you don't understand anything, literally have no idea if that's a brothel or a hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, when you make that mistake, it becomes obvious, but... Um, which are the boys' toilets, which are the girls' toilets? I and mean, it's also, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot to go on. It, it shook me up because, I and then I realized I'd never traveled to a non-English-speaking country. Like, yeah, I, I was in Germany, they all speak English. I was in, like, um, Turkey in the tourist areas, they all speak English and I don't speak any Turkish anyway and it was just like i realized that i'd never fully been in an, in a completely foreign environment that where i was like completely screwed actually mm. <laughs> i was just uh, you know i couldn't do anything i i i had so many problems in the first week or two and nobody spoke english it seemed and mm. of course now that i understand basic hungarian and could probably do some transactions and stuff now of course everyone i meet speaks english for some <laughs> reason but back, back when i came here it's like my uh, the the guy who is like basically the janitor of my building he didn't speak a word of english trying to ask me questions and stuff and my and uh, another guy came to fix some uh, lighting in the in the flat ironically not very well um but <laughs> <laughs> um they just didn't speak a word and i was really surprised by this because i thought All of Europe spoke English, right? Yeah, but
0: does that kind of, do you still see that as the adventure? Is that still what draws you to being there? Or have you started to see that a bit more as an inconvenience? Because that was my experience as well. And when I'd say it to people, there would be this split in reaction. Some people would be like, wow, that's so exciting. Other people would be like, oh, my God, I could never live in a place like that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what happened. Like you described, I, when I came here, it was the adventure. And then a few months in, it was just becoming convenient. And I realized that Hungary is extremely convenient for people who work online. Uh, first of all, they are in the middle of Europe. They have excellent connectivity. Uh, you know, the airport is, is really well connected to at least most of Europe. And they have really cheap flights. Uh, but also, actually, you can take a train to most major capitals, as, you, as you've probably done it's just a a very well connected place to be in general and it's not too far away from Denmark where I'm from so I go back a lot, it's not too far away from England I go there all the time as well and Mm -hmm. so it became a place of convenience and and really good income tax deals as well, they have 16% income tax as a base rate, flat rate too it doesn't go up with income and uh, you can join the social security for essentially 15 pounds a month so you know for me it's just a really good country for expats and mm. i i know a lot of people say that the hungarian people are sort of cold and and you know they can be miserable and depressed and angry and stuff but they're also incredibly nice people i think um most of the time and they, they remind me a bit of the danish people you know if you don't know them they might seem like really rude in a way but once you get to know them and understand how they think they're they're you know just like the rest of us i i think, um, like,
0: yeah. Definitely. I think one person said to me, you know, like once you become once you do break through and kind of become friends with a Hungarian, that person's your friend for life. And that's been my experience, certainly since leaving Hungary. I'm still very much in contact with my friends and I kind of wish I was a little bit closer so I could come back and visit. But, you know, from going from the center of Europe to being a little bit out on a limb here has meant that traveling is not as easy as it once was.
1: Right. Well, you should live closer to uh, a, a better airport, I suppose. I don't know about the Valencian <laughs> Airport. It seems a little bit small. <laughs> no there yeah it's one. a
0: small airport it's a small airport the problem the problem within spain is that um from my point of view madrid and barcelona are prohibitively expensive cities to live in mm-hmm. um there's no point in me living in a city like that i might as well go back to london yeah in terms of rental prices so yeah there's there's a lot of things to balance out
1: yeah we haven't covered that actually uh, prices as well that was something that also drew me to to come here because well not come here but stay here actually because it's incredible how much you get for your money here. And a lot of people are a little bit, oh, so you're just there to, you know, get cheap beers and and, and live, live a, the cheap life, which you can do here. But I saw it as an opportunity to basically do more things. Like in Denmark, if I had to go out for a cafe just for lunch, you know, we're talking like 20 pounds. It's London prices basically. And down here I can eat lunch, you know, at a nice family restaurant, you know, for, few pounds at, at the most so for me uh, who someone who isn't earning you know millions of uh of pounds it's uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a very nice uh, place to be in. and uh, but obviously that creates problems too we talked about that before how yeah if you make english money in hungary and people here make like you know a few hundred pounds a month then there's a it's tough to socialize sometimes it's very yeah. awkward um
0: it's tough to socialize but there's also kind of bigger issues going on in hungary right now as a result of people like you and i going there and um, so rent prices since when i moved into my flat in hungary have gone up 75 yeah. percent in budapest i mean that's enormous i remember getting a flat in budapest was the easiest thing in the world when i went there and i was thinking like oh thank god i'm not in berlin or somewhere where i have to look for six months and then give them the whole year's rent in advance because they don't believe they're going to pay it, etc, etc, etc. But we've now reached that point in Budapest as well. And, you know, I mean, what you used to be able to get in Hungary for maybe three, 400 euros a month is now more like 900, 1,000 even mm-hmm. in some cases. So uh, it's very difficult. And I know this is going to have an enormous strain on Hungarian society as it has done in Berlin and everywhere where the tech hipsters going,
1: yeah, basically. It's true. It's true. I think what will happen, and I think this already happened to a large extent, is that the center will be dominated by expats and Airbnb. And then... Yeah, the that's, Hungarian, the Airbnb is enormous
0: thing of the tourism.
1: Yeah. Well. And it's some. It's a, quite annoying, actually, in, in a way. But it's also, it's driving the Hungarian working people out of the center. They're living in the suburban areas now. or and even it's pushing
0: the prices states. up. Because, I mean, you're you're talking in pounds. You're saying, oh, I can do this for a few pounds. That's fine. But if we start converting Hungarian prices into euros, it's actually not as cheap as it first seems. Right. To be able to get in the rest of Europe, you know, and that's a trend which I see, you know, continuing um, from the time that I was in there. And suddenly now, of course, it's it's even more expensive. You used to be able to eat the standard in a restaurant in Hungary, a main meal was five euros, you know, 1,500 foreign. That was kind of standard, even a nice meal. Now you're looking at two and a half three thousand foreign mm. already ten euros, and you know where's the cheap Hungary now? I mean ten yeah. euros is not cheap by any means for a meal in a restaurant.
1: you definitely have to look for it now. I feel like uh, just as just my experience you you know you have your little kind of fitzy papa mom and pop restaurants around the corner that still do that deal, but then most of the cafes and restaurants have kind of adapted to tourism and they increase all their prices so a main course is like two and a half thousand now on on average and i think if you if you try to avoid those and go to the right places you can still do it really cheaply so the argument still stands but it is a concerning uh, evolution i I don't really have any idea of like what will happen i mean it seems like the prices are just going to continue going up i guess Mm. investing in a flat right now would be nice but uh, <laughs> what I've heard from so, parents, though, is they they, they have a, a, a nice family tradition of, like, passing on flats through throughout, down the family. So they don't have to pay for rent, actually, many of them. Uh, that's what I understand. So that's a slight save uh, that they have this uh, tradition where each family just has several flats. Uh, but, you know, for those who don't, it's it's tough. You know, how, how can you live on, definitely. you know? 400 euros a month or 600 maybe. So do you think that there's a sustainable way to move to a country like (laughs) Hungary? Sustainable for who, you know, sustainable Um, for the local
0: environment, right. right? We come in with our pounds and euros, whatever, we can buy more than the local people. We price the local people out and you, you get Berlin because that's exactly what happened there. Yeah how, how do you think, you know, because I'm wondering if people are listening or watching who are thinking, you know what, I want to move to a place like Budapest and start my life, but they're concerned about the issues that we've been talking about. What do you think people like us could do to encourage more sustainable living in places like Budapest?
1: Well, I think the first is not to uh, support tourist traps all the tourist, various tourist traps. So something like, you know, when you see flats posted, don't just jump at it because it sounds cheap in your London prices. You know, I, I live in a flat now that's probably a hundred euros overpriced, but so I was- this
0: is, You're talking from experience here. Yeah,
1: it, <laughs> definitely. Cause I was just, I was just so desperate. And you know, people who know, who read the blog about my experience moving to Hungary and staying in Airbnb for like a month and a half will know that it was not because I had great choice, I just had to do something because otherwise I wouldn't have enough money to cover the deposit because Airbnb was significantly more expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then it's a decent flat, you know, it's not terrible, it's huge and it's, yeah, it's not the most practical and nothing in it works, but it's about, I would say, 100, 150 euros overpriced. And if everybody, if everybody was as stupid as I was when they come here and they buy the overpriced flat, then obviously the prices are going to go up. But if if people took a second to actually evaluate the prices with the market and see, okay, that looks a little bit high, then at some point, the realtors are just going to have to drop it down a little bit. But mm. it's supply and demand, isn't it? If there's like a million Danish people coming here because I posted about it, then <laughs> obviously the price is going to go up because there are not enough flats to <laughs> support all these new, uh, new people, you know? So yeah. I, I can't. So, do, see, you know, so do you think it's
0: it's because I'm wondering? Do you think it's like ethically or morally questionable for people like us who come from rich countries in Europe to move to poorer countries like Hungary?
1: I, it's are these, really these are question. questions
0: that I did find myself asking yeah, myself a it's lot when I was in Hungary because I was like, you know, I mean, especially when you're there for a long time and you get to know the people, you see that people really do have a lot of problems there, and in some ways I'm solving it. You know, I'm creating more work, I'm visiting places, I'm feeding money into the economy. in other ways, I'm creating more problems because people are seeing me as a more valuable consumer than the local person Mm -hmm. and they're putting a price at what to me still seems cheap, but what completely excludes a local person.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree uh, with that observation. And like I said, it's a great question and it's a really difficult one because you have your own interest to protect as well. You know, if uh, there's nothing with all the shame and stuff, there's nothing preventing you from doing it. And there's nothing, you know, to to even discourage people from doing it. And I would just hope that by me moving here, this, uh, I mean, obviously one person doesn't change much, but if every expat who moved here, I mean, they will spend more money on average everywhere. I mean, they will keep the local economy running. Maybe the expats or the tourists are the reason that Fritzi Papa is still open. You know, a lot of Hungarians go there, but it's kind of a, a tourist site now with such a terrible service. It's like, a, yeah. Uh, so people this go to
0: this uh, cheap place I introduced you around this corner from your flat where you can eat for a euro fifty.
1: Yeah, and the uh, three courses lunch meal is, with a drink is like three euros. So yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's really great. But the point is just that I hope I don't understand uh, macroeconomics in any way, but I hope that the fact that people discover Hungary will mean that there are more investments made, there are more companies uh, getting more business a- abroad, there are more. You know, because it also helps local Hungarian business that expats come here because they can be hired as, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, advisors and stuff like that. So they will start new business opportunities, start new trade opportunities, and in general, just spend more money. And I hope, also tax, you know, that's just a basic thing. But I mean, 16% tax doesn't sound like much, but if you make English pounds, then 16 is a lot of money uh, at the end of the day, you know. you know, you're probably paying more tax than most people get uh, in salaries. So you're helping mm-hmm. the economy. But the question is, by everyone coming here, is that mm-hmm. help enough? Or will it just drive everyone out? And then you just have to also consider, is that such a bad thing? Cause it's happened everywhere else. Right. So,
0: yeah. And one of the things that I kind of had this, this strong sense of when I was living in Hungary was that we're swapping places. Because, I mean, I know you have a lot of listeners who are in the UK, right? But um, in the UK, when I was growing up, the talk all of the time was about Polish people coming to the UK. Polish and Hungarians and Slovakians and everything, but especially yeah. Polish people. You know, and we're like, all oh, these Polish people coming here, it's taking jobs away from local people. It's, it's the same argument, you know, but <laughs> just the other way around and for the <laughs> other reasons. So with people like us and, you know, Budapest, there's a lot of people from Western Europe living there now. Yes. It's a pretty big expat community of people who move for the reasons that, that we did. But we're, we're kind of, we're taking their place and, and they're taking our place. And somehow <laughs> the effect is kind of the same, that local <laughs> people are kind of losing out. So I don't know how far this argument goes. It's, really. funny I
1: mean, it's funny you should say that because I've I talked to some Hungarians about it. And apparently London is the second biggest Hungarian city in the world it is i mean
0: <laughs> my downstairs neighbor in where i live in london was from hungary and yeah. like, so when i would go home the first thing i would hear was like him on a phone in, in like the street talking in hungarian <laughs> it was like really really weird i'd like bump into people in in boots like in shops speaking hungarian i'd be like a botchan," or and stuff like that it was it's <laughs> it totally like weird so it's kind of it's part of this really interesting thing which is happening which is that as borders well, and obviously with recent events excluded, but as borders are gradually being eroded across yeah. Europe and people don't see moving to a country as a big deal anymore, you get this real mix. And I'm, I'm really interested to kind of see where in 15, 20 years this is going to lead us to, hoping to a good place. But, um, mm. you know, all over Europe now we, we've got this happening and you know, I'm a part of it and you're a part of it that people are moving and people are getting to know other cultures.
1: Yeah, I think my theory is the same as yours, that Budapest is, is going to be like Berlin and probably eventually London, they're all on this trajectory, um, and you're just going to move further and further away from the center to afford the rent, but the the point is that Budapest wasn't really discovered, like uh, proven by my complete ignorance of the city's viability, that's a nice sentence, you should put that somewhere, uh, but yeah, I was just completely unaware of Hungary and Budapest in general, but now that i heard about it i googled uh, a lot of expat forms and stuff and people are really starting to discover it now so that means that more and more people are coming it's moving towards that berlin situation and we'll see what we'll see where it goes i mean i, I just say if i had 90,000 euros right now 100,000 euros i would buy a flat here in budapest for sure mm.
0: maybe not even to budapest. The well, you'll have to have at least that again to pay all the taxes and in, in stuff that the Hungarian <laughs> government would put on top of you. But yeah, yeah I mean, I think, yeah, having I think a thousand an- euros in your pocket is, is a very nice thing to do in, in Budapest. Yeah, well, but, I just um, I
1: just think that it's a nice uh, investment opportunity right now. And, you know, we're having the prices are just going to keep increasing, I think, like you, mm. uh, you suggested. Because it, it's so, kind of so much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so another
0: interesting thing that's happened, and I wanted to know what you think about this, because you've moved to a big city. Yeah. Right? And in the past, big cities were kind of a a thing of convenience. It was like, we go live in the city because that's where the work opportunities are. But you're not in that category because you can work anywhere. And one thing that started to happen in Greece, which is a situation that I know about, of course, because of my family being from there, is as the crisis has hit Greece and there's less and less work in Athens and people are moving online, people are just leaving the city in droves. People Mm -hmm. are going to smaller places where they can have better qualities of life, where they've got fresh air, cheaper rent, you know, they can drive cars, they can raise their kids, you Mm -hmm. know, without having to worry about crime and that kind of thing. And and this is a new trend which is happening as a result of this whole online thing. And I was wondering whether you could ever see yourself living in a smaller place than Budapest.
1: Yeah, I think so, uh, for sure. The the feeling I have right now is that I'm still young and I, I still like you know going to cafes and getting a beer every now and again. I think when I'm a little bit old, older, maybe five, ten years from now, that might be very appealing to move out of the city because then I'd have stronger finances. I'd probably be able to afford a car, which I think is probably necessary when you move outside public transport. And um, as long as I'm close to an airport or at least relatively conveniently placed in in terms of an airport then i don't really have to live in a city and uh, my mom always criticized me for you know wanting to live in a big city she's like what do you use it for what do you use it for <laughs> and, and
0: there's something about it because i mean I've, valencia is a city it's, it's not not a city it's about a million people here if you count all of the surrounding areas but it's a small city compared to what it was and there are times when i kind of think oh you know there, there's something there's something different about here There's, It's missing some kind of atmosphere which which I was very aware of all the time in Budapest, so you know I was yeah. wondering maybe maybe we're addicted to the city, maybe we're addicted to to the choice
1: i I don't know i I definitely feel more alive in the city, and I think one thing that you can't put a price on is like potential something. so the fact that I can, <laughs> the fact that I have two hundred restaurants or eating places within ten minutes of walking doesn't mean that i actually visit them every year but the potential of me having it is very much improving my life quality cuz it's like yeah. i could go down and get a whatever i could do that i could do this and you'll never ever miss anything i I've, I've lived in small cities before and it was just like in denmark one i lived in for many years had i mean probably less than 10,000 it was a town and mm. you know the main shop closed like 7 at night and you had to take a bus for like 45 minutes to get to the next major city to find a place that was open until 9. There was no eating options. There was no nothing. And that's, of course, an extreme example. You could live in somewhere like Valencia that's kind of in between. Or maybe like was yeah. 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 a big one. Between. 200,000. Whatever, you know. Um, I lived yeah. in a city like that. And that was very nice. But I think potential is a good word because the fact that you have it will make it much easier for you. Like if here in Budapest, if something breaks or if I need something for my computer or something, you know, there's like several different media marts. There's like uh, an IKEA for furniture and stuff. So I know that everything is available. It doesn't mean that I take advantage of it every single day, but I can if I will. And I think that's worth something. Okay,
0: but then we move into very dangerous territory because that is what people (laughs) say about living in London. Yes. And uh, London, I think we can all agree is is not how we want cities to end up, because I mean, I personally see myself. I mean, I, I wanted to live abroad. I always wanted to do that. I always wanted that experience. But it's not wholly my choice. I'm also living abroad because I cannot justify to myself the absolutely outrageous expense of living in London that I would have to take on. And when, I, when people used to come to visit me in Budapest, when people would come to me in Valencia, they would pretty much say what you're saying right now, but about London. They'd be like, oh, this place, this place is nice. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's, it's affordable, but it's not London. You know, you don't have the right. choice. You don't have the whole world at your fingertips. And what I found really interesting about that is because that wasn't my experience of living in London at all. You know, yes, I knew everything was there. I knew that, you know, a few clicks, a few tube stops, I could pretty much do anything in the entire world if I had the money. But the point was that the the reality of living in London was that you don't do that much stuff. No. And most of your time on the tube, (laughs) Um, most of your time just doing normal things, and the people that visit the city who save up and make the time to do everything, they really enjoy it. But the actual people that live there, it's it's not always the case.
1: When I was thinking about permanent choices for habitation, I was uh, thinking about... um, like other uk cities like um going a little bit north maybe just as an alternative because there are cities a, a few hours away from london that are extremely nice and and not as expensive they'll probably be more more expensive than budapest of course but i was just thinking you could always go into london if you needed anything but just live your normal life outside of it as you would because like you say you you know i i i eat out very seldomly mostly because of uh, it's it's too much sort of trouble to go out and, and break up your hours and I always have like varying shifts all the time uh, so I just cook myself most of the time um, so it's not that I need it and it's not that I use it at all and so perhaps maybe that's the solution you know move out of the city and just go whenever you need whenever you need anything mm. I don't know it's,
0: it's strange it's just because I find this whole topic fascinating because I think it's so unusual for us just to be able to choose where we want to live. <laughs> it's just this is an amazing thing. I, Previously, it's like, I'll go there because that's where the jobs are. You know, yeah. I, mean, I remember talking to my parents about this when I was growing up. And I, said, <laughs> I want to live in this country or I'll live in that country or I'll live in the other. And they said, okay, fine. But basically you, you go where you get work and now everything's turned on its head. So I think it's, yeah. it's just cool to be able to have this discussion and make these choices.
1: I guess the main attraction of capital cities is usually that uh, they have great connectivity like airports are extremely well connected if so you're living listen- to get out of them that's the best thing about living in them <laughs> that's another quote I, I would very much have to write down because that's because that, that was my true. In London. I was but like, it's very true isn't it it's true it's, yeah. like, it's true but it, it's just uh i mean it's a it's a luxury thing as well isn't it because in budapest just as an example when i Fly anywhere. I fly with like the cheapest airline in the world, um, Wizz Air, and they have, except for extremely pretty uh, stewardesses, they don't offer much in terms of service. Let's just put it that way. And um, you know, but but the airport is half an hour away by cab, and as you know, the cabs are very cheap, or you can Uber out there for not for next to nothing. And you know, I get into the airport. It's like you know, fast track security is like, what is it like? Two pounds or something—it's really cheap anyway, and there's almost no queue anyway most of the time. And then you go to the free lounge sponsored by your Mastercard, just for having a Mastercard with your Hungarian bank. You know, all these things—it's just—it's true that it's for its advantages when you're leaving the country. But it, it does, for me, it is a part of the whole argument at some point because it it connects me to the rest of the world, and I want to be a traveler if nothing else. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I totally see what
0: you mean. So the only thing I'm thinking is kind of so... One thing that I got a sense of was that even though I was living in Hungary, even though um, it was just as Hungarian as it could be, I still kind of felt like I was living in a bit of a glass box. You know, that it was there, but it, it couldn't quite reach me. All of, Most of the people that I knew were still foreigners. I was still very foreign. With VPN, I was watching foreign TV. I um, was <laughs> spending foreign money. This kind of thing, you know, yeah. and that was a little bit of a disappointment, actually. And I met a lot of people, a lot of people who lived in Budapest who had a similar experience. And I guess the difference was that whether I saw it as a problem, they didn't see it as a problem at all. They saw it as kind of part of the experience. They liked oh, really? and that. Hmm. And I was just wondering what your experience with that has been so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not easy. I can attest to that. I was very lucky that you were living here, which obviously was part of the... <laughs> reason I, I moved because there was somebody local. And part of the reason why I moved out, of course. Of course. Yeah, like <laughs> I said, thank you for leaving me behind. Thanks thanks for not sending the memo about, oh, guys, we're going to Spain, by the way. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, that's a big part of the reason. And it, luckily for me, what that allowed me to do was to be introduced by a large group of people living here to start out with. Mm. And through them, I've sort of extended that network. And I went to a few of the language meetups. I always recommend language meetups as a way of meeting new people because they'll be sort of like-minded. um for the, for instance, the German meetup had about the first time I went, it was like thirty people. And you know most of them are obviously Hungarian who learned German at some point, but there were also a lot of like German expats or there was even some Americans who were just randomly on holiday. And they were just <laughs> in, on holiday and they just stopped by and they're taking German in school. I think maybe the mother was German or something. And, but you make all these connections through a hobby or a passion. Whether that's languages, obviously when people are listening or seeing this, they probably are interested in languages, so that would be an obvious candidate. But as you might remember, I was very nervous about this whole isolation thing because I was very isolated in Denmark, which may, maybe makes the argument a little bit more... Um, balanced in a way because if I was isolated in Denmark speaking the the language perfectly or good enough let's say um, then how what are you expecting going somewhere else you know Mm. it's not like that that will magically make it a lot a lot better unless you work for it and I think that's what I've been doing so every single social event that people invited me to I've always been going and I've been trying to set up, you know, coffee dates every week with people I've met, and uh, yeah, just drawing on my network, and and that's been really beneficial. And so I, I've I've actually done a lot better here than I would back in Denmark. I, I don't know why, but yeah, <laughs> that can also happen. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, I well, I still miss you and Sam and Sully, miss all of you. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. you just left me without saying. No, I'm just kidding. You, you, get <laughs> you a, mean get like the sun warning. is
0: leaving you now behind you and still coming over to me. I can <laughs> see this happening as we talk.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm in a cave and you're in like the high heavens. You're like, I mean, I've never seen such contrast between two countries before that are supposedly in the same time zone, right?
0: Yeah, no, we're, we're in the same time zone. Spain's not supposed to be in this time zone, though. It was moved um, <laughs> in the 30s. Uh, it's supposed to be in the same time zone as the UK. All right. And it's actually a problem because it means the sun doesn't rise until half past eight in the morning. And that's oh. something that I hate. Yeah. that is something that I really can't get involved with because I need to get up when the sun's there and, you know, getting up at seven o'clock and it's the middle of the night is, is not fun. So right. there's my gripe.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we've been talking a lot about uh, languages, uh, sorry, uh, countries and, and places. We haven't talked at all about languages. No, uh, languages. <laughs> probably, we should probably talk just a little bit about language uh, languages just to uh, say that we've done it. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've already talked about uh, sort of the methods you use and the language learning experience if you've done. We did that back in in Season 1. I forget mm. the the number of the episode. I should have probably looked that up. but. If you go to actualfluency.com forward slash podcast, you can see all the episodes and Alex Rowling's name will be in uh, close to the bottom. Um, season <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, it's ranked by, you know, uh, success and how many people just and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so what's changed, actually? I, I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, if there's anything in recent times, let's say the last year, last two years, that have you had any sort of eureka uh, Moments about language learning has anything changed for you recently?
0: Well, since I left Hungary, I feel like the pressure's been off and I think this is a big thing In Hungary I was constantly looking my failure in the face <laughs> Because I was constantly being reminded about how many things I couldn't do and still can't do if I went back to Hungary You know, there's still horrendous vocab gaps in my Hungarian that I should fill even though I'm pretty functional now in the language and um, Whereas coming to Spain, I mean, just <laughs> you just cannot compare the two languages at all. I mean, I just feel like the whole world is open to me now.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. But
0: I guess what I learned from that whole experience is, is the way that I got things done in Hungarian was just by knuckling down and getting on with it, and you know, just aiming for an, a good outcome, not caring about details, not caring about you know, necessarily having a hundred percent grammatical correctness or even one percent grammatical correctness (laughs) at some points the point was just the transaction the point was just getting what i needed done and you know that taught me a lot and that has really helped to push down that invisible wall you've got where you kind of feel like you've studied so much but you can't use it because by using it you get better and since i've come here it's been very very quick for me to warm back into spanish
1: cool and i am just speaking of your hungarian challenge or whatever word to use i Um, called it a project oh project hungarian project Mm -hmm. um hungarian mission (laughs) just kidding (laughs) Um, so people were really 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 impressed and i was as well by your uh, end of project level and um, actually if you google or youtube search for hungarian you come up really really near the top which is uh, pretty cool but you know did you how did you make that happen because people are always saying Hungarian is so hard and and you know you obviously just told us that it was difficult for you even as a very experienced language owner. but wh- so you just knuckled down and did it that we need more details you know we I need more details what's the it, secret it's
0: just a couple of key concepts i think which will make it happen and i think the main one is regularity every day you know, i think every well uh, yeah every day at least something um and regular lessons, regular kind of study time, you just have to keep doing it. And even though it can feel like there's no end in sight, you are getting better and you just kind of, you aim for those eureka moments along that journey. It's kind of like if you're doing laps of the pool, you aim for the point where you kind of get to the one end and just kind of breathe for a bit. And I had a lot of them and it was just really basic stuff which I kind of realized like, wow, I can do this now. So for example, um, the first time I gave someone directions in Hungarian was enormous because people would come up to me all the time be like, excuse me do you know where this thing is and i didn't <laughs> know where it was but i just couldn't tell them and it was like really frustrating because i was in my home but i didn't feel settled but then i remember that the day that i could actually give someone directions for the first time i was kind of like wow there's a level of functionality that i've now got you know and then other things like the first time i um got in a uber cab and spoke to the driver for 20 minutes nonstop just in hungarian and it was really painful there was a lot of google translate going on but we got there and kind of i connected with this person and i was like okay i've learned so much from that experience and i now know that it's possible so just i was always aiming for those moments i was aiming for those kind of very um very functional breakthroughs that I was having through being in the um, in the immersion experience, and really using them as motivation to keep going and then to stick to studying a little bit every day.
1: Right, and I think that the studying a little bit every day, it's also it was the it's the biggest change I've done as well. But one thing I wanted to note about studying every day, even if it's just a little bit, that is also very difficult. I find it's 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 challenging to do something every day. So. It is,
0: and I think it's, it's, it's challenging because it requires a change of perspective for you to realize that even just looking at a piece of paper with 15 words on it is more useful than not looking at it. Exactly. You know, because you have this voice going saying, there's no point, there's no point unless I sit down and do an hour. And there is a point, there really is a point in just keeping your brain refreshed and staying in the habit of making it happen.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's really cool. And I'm also seeing it myself, the small wins, uh, where I start to understand stuff. And, you know, when I came here the first month and I tried to order food on the phone and I couldn't, I mean, there was a girl of about 17 or something on the phone and she didn't understand a word of English, even though it's like pizza menu, uh, you know, it's not, it's not <laughs> hard, but uh, she just yeah. refused to understand, which happens sometimes. But anyway, whereas, and I, you know, if I had to go online and like the, uh, What's you know what's the food online delivery service thing called? You know it was only in Hungarian, and I was like I don't understand even one percent of this website, so I can't use it even with Google Translate. You know translating the whole thing doesn't work when you have to go past the sign up box and stuff. But yeah. now it's like I I actually can order online on a Hungarian website, and I can go down to Subway and order my sandwich, and I can ask basic questions and stuff. And every time you do it, people just light up and they're really happy and it really helps it makes my day as well because it it, it shows progress and it you know it, yeah. it it's really a big win and collecting wins in that in language like hungarian is essential if you just absolutely try to study on your own and you never get anywhere you're like oh my god how did i do this yeah. <laughs> but i do love 100%. the language so i have to say just on a technical point of view it's oh my god what a fantastic language i mean who came it up beautiful with it's fantastic I with this. <laughs> no, it's,
0: it's beautiful language definitely i think it's it's one of my favorites and it's probably one of the things i miss most about hungary was speaking this bizarre crazy language all the time
1: yeah it's it's so fantastic and uh people keep saying it's difficult i i don't know i think russian is more difficult but that's just a personal point of view obviously i don't speak hungarian that well yet but uh it just seems that Hungarian is much more logical. It's much more, a lot more regular. And if it's not regular, then it's pretty easy to be understood anyway. Whereas my Russian tutor is just she just completely zones out if I say one wrong ending or something. So it's mm. I don't know if that's a if that's a, the truth for for you as well. But I, I definitely don't find it impossible like some people say. Mastery, though, hmm. <laughs> questionable. I think
0: that's what I was going to say. I think as you, as you go further up the scale, as you get more and more advanced, you start to see where Hungarian really does get difficult, and it is more than just kind of the vocabulary and the the, the words. It's because you're learning a non-Indo-European language, which means that this language has a completely different way of thinking. Yeah. The language that you're coming from. And certainly at the end, when I had to do things like have big arguments with my landlady about minor (laughs) things and these kinds of things where you're really having to talk to people (laughs) about very serious stuff and there's misunderstandings going on, that's moments where the language really does become a bit daunting because the whole way you express yourself in Hungarian is just totally alien
1: to
0: how it is in English. So I'm aware that the way that I sound to her is not, you know, what she would expect someone like me who's Hungarian to say. And that's where kind of the difficulties erupt. But having said that, I think, like you're saying, it's not as hard as people say to um, get to a point where you can be functional get to a point where you can use the language and where you could visit Hungary and have fun speaking it with the local people.
1: That sounds like the ad for, like, the audio courses, like Pimsa or something. It's like you get to the level <laughs> where you can uh, start speaking with the local people something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's fun, right? I mean, I have holiday languages. I have languages I pick up a little bit just to use because it's, it's fun, yeah, you know, oh and God. let it lead
1: wherever it leads. Hungarian is hilarious. I mean, it really is. And it, the funniest thing is making up words that don't exist or using, like, uh, post-position prepositions to add to words that Hungarians don't use. I was... Uh, one time I said... Uh, I was going home and I said... Um, I said... And uh, she was like, "What? Nobody ever says that." We're like, "We have a word for that." I was like, "Okay, I didn't know." And I asked her, Do, "Did you understand me?" She's like, "Yeah, sure." So it's just a, a funny language in, in in that way. I don't know if you, you've tried that—you know, creating words that don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but that's—it's very forgiving, I think—is which is very nice most of the time, anyway. You know, they just because you use the wrong. Uh, vile harmony or whatever they'll still understand you and if you use your own crazy uh, word like i made up you know it's they understand you most of the time i think they're more forgiving with pronunciation than other languages i've tried particularly i think the response is overwhelming from local people when you learn hungarian
0: people are really really appreciative that you've done it and and, in awe Like you've (laughs) learned what they consider to be the hardest language in the world. I mean, everyone thinks their own language is difficult, but it's nice as a learner that people react like that. You have a couple of bad eggs, people who the moment they hear kind of a remote accent will just start speaking English and speak Mm. very well. But, you know, I mean, that's not something which
1: is unique to Hungary by any means. I think Hungary is one of the, I don't know if this is true or not, but my feeling is that most people will reply in Hungarian if you speak to them in Hungarian, even if your accent is off. I mean, I assume my accent is off, but when I go to every single shop and I say something in Hungarian, even if it's like the touristy places, they'll still instantly reply to me in Hungarian. And I usually don't understand the follow-up because it's long and fast, but um, they will still do it in Hungarian until I say, like, uh, English. Uh, Or maybe I'm just amazing in Hungarian uh, pronunciation. English pronunciation? Not so much, (laughs) but... I don't know. But it, it, I think you're definitely right. You don't get that English tax all the time, for sure. And unless you want to, of course, then you get it all the time, especially in the restaurants and stuff. But uh, if you just fly under the radar, uh, you'll be fine. So I guess we can recommend people learning this wonderful language of Hungarian. Definitely,
0: and visit this wonderful place. It's, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, two things happened when I was living in Maybe this is just useful to end with. But two things happened which kind of still make me think about Hungary a lot. Um, When I first moved to Hungary, I got a job at a language school, which I'm not going to name, but it was a language school in Budapest and I didn't end up staying there very long because I didn't particularly enjoy working there. But in one of the training days, um, this uh, lady came to give this um, training session to us and it was the voice of the Budapest Metro (laughs) in English. And I realized that about halfway through that. (laughs) Hang on, I've heard this voice before. This is kind of, the doors are opening on the left. This is this person is standing in front of me. And then of course it was her. But she had lived in Budapest for 30 years. An English person, I think from Manchester. And uh, she said, I moved to Budapest 30 years ago, and I didn't like it. I stayed for a year. I didn't want to move there. And the whole time I thought I wanted to move to Spain. Then I moved to Spain. And moved straight back, and I've <laughs> been here ever since. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I, this this voice kind of echoes around my head all the time when I'm here. I'm thinking, like, is this going to happen to me too? I don't no. know. <laughs> the second thing that happened was kind of just before I was leaving. It was a friend's birthday, and we were in um, a bar. I think it was Foyash has has by by you actually, and um, his his flatmate was there. And we said, and I said, okay, I'm leaving. Blah blah blah. And he said, what do you mean you're leaving? Budapest is a city that you never leave. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
1: okay. Budapest we'll leaves see.
0: you. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Maybe there's a part of me that's still in Budapest and I'm going to go back one day, but we'll see. It's a very, very special place.
1: Well, you want to be, uh, I mean, it's hard to move back when you're such a, you know, you're looking to travel and experience other cultures, isn't it? you know, thirsty for yeah. culture. It's hard to move back to where you've already been. It's kind of like going back to an ex-girlfriend, you know, you kind of know what you're getting. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think I'm just interested.
0: I'm interested in the number of people who've been like, no, you, you can't leave Budapest. You can leave for a bit, but you always come back. So we'll, right. see. we'll see whether the same thing happens with me.
1: Fantastic. And, um, of course, uh, we'll see you at um, the Plygott gathering, the Plygott workshops mm-hmm. everywhere. You, you're doing, yeah, an, everywhere. Online you doing wanna, an online thing. We're doing an online thing.
0: Yeah, we're doing an online thing now. It's going to be kind of like a month course where you get time with me and richard in webinars also in smaller group chats and you also get access to an exclusive forum where we'll be on hand to help you with everything um, to help you to learn languages better and to implement basically the advice that we give on the day in uh, in the workshops over the course of a month so you can make more sustainable learning patterns
1: Awesome. And that will be very helpful for people, uh, particularly, I guess, in America or other faraway places where they can't just go to. Uh, the next one is in Valencia. In... Yeah, absolutely. Valencia end at the of... end of January. Fantastic. And any reason you chose um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think it's why we would choose it to be in Valencia. So
1: lazy. I've never seen anything uh... so lazy before. You You live right across <laughs> the
0: building, too, right? <laughs> Well, <laughs> I live very, very close. Yeah. Uh, it's
1: crazy. Anyway, uh, best of luck with that. That's going to be amazing. And uh, we'll see you in, uh, in, Gre- in Greece as well. And obviously, you, uh, I suppose you're very mm-hmm. excited with your family connections to go to Thessaloniki. You've probably been mm-hmm. there once or twice before, I imagine. I've only been there once. All right.
0: I did enjoy it and it's a very very nice place to have an event like that because there's a lot of students and it's in a really good location in terms of accessibility from other countries too so and we've got an amazing venue with views of the sea oh so my what God. do you want
1: incredible <laughs> sign me up sign me up <laughs> i'm there all right well alex thank you so much for uh, this uh, wonderful conversation this was exactly what i was thinking when uh when i invited you back to just uh you know catch up and uh, see what's been going on and I hope we provided some context to the whole expat problem which we can call it um also i'd like to uh, point people in the way of the interview with alex uh, no not alex um what's his name mr laura um anthony anthony wow i forgot that or maybe i'm just operating on very little sleep but anyway one of the two uh anthony lotus episode uh also i believe that was in season two uh, where we also talked about this problem, because I thought I was going to go to Czech Republic. <laughs> I thought I was going to go to Prague. And I asked uh, Anthony all these questions about moving to uh, such a, a a different place, and, and he gives a lot of uh, strategies as well. So if people are interested in uh, becoming an expat, uh, which is a funny word, actually, we discussed that, that if you're an expat, you're basically just an immigrant from a richer country, right? This is kind of funny that the, this distinction occurs, but... Anyway, I, I will call that.
0: myself an immigrant just for the, for the records. Well, <laughs> like, you're politically correct. Well, I just, I'm, I'm an immigrant. It's yeah. as simple as that. I've come to live in this country.
1: I do that too, actually. Most of the time. Thank you for listening to the actual fluency podcast.